Welcome to the People, Passion, and Purpose podcast, where you will hear from creative small business owners in the trenches every single day, talking story, talking lessons, talking failures, talking truth. I'm your host, Nina L. Kovner. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome today's guest, Cherie Saxelby. Cherie is a studio owner, content creator, colorist, educator, and all around badass. Cherie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I, I have to thank you officially and publicly for being one of the biggest inspirations behind this podcast because. I know you've been telling me for years, you need a podcast, you need a podcast, and I know you are a podcast fanatic, so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. No, I'm pumped. Please, all the podcasts. <laughs> so let's dive right in. I have a ton of questions. Okay, so how long have you been a small business owner, and why did you choose the studio life? I have been a small business owner behind the chair for six years now. Um, I chose a studio life because I really just... I like to have control. I like to be able to control everything about the environment. I like to control what my clients are feeling. Even when I had my own station and a small salon, everything on my station was curated. Like everything matched, everything gave a feeling when you were there. So having a studio, it was just the next step. I can control the music. I can control the beverages. I can control how my clients are feeling versus being in a salon where it's really chaotic. So basically the entire experience. Yeah. And I know how important that is to you. So, okay. So six years. So congratulations on six years. That's amazing. I know you had a career as a photographer. Yes. Before. What made you shift from photography to hair? Well, photography, it was something, you know, as a, I was an artist. I grew up an artist. I grew up painting. It kind of runs in the family. And, um, I was doing photography for a long time and I started that business when I was 18. And basically what happened is, you know, you're always looking for ways to grow your business or ways to add more, to add more value. And I thought to myself, Oh, if I go to beauty school, then I can do hair and makeup on my own shoots. Well, I was a wedding photographer, so I didn't really put that together until like halfway <laughs> through beauty school that you can't do hair and makeup on your own weddings. But, you know, I just stuck with it and it worked out that I could do that. You know, it gave me something to do in the down season because weddings typically end up being more summer, fall. And then uh, from there, I just, just kind of lost the passion for photography in the same way that I did. It was a lot of going through like the motions. And I found that hair and the creativity and hair really sustained me in the way that photography could not. Interesting. So let me ask you then. How has that, how did that photography experience help you uh, when you became a hairdresser, particularly in, in the era of Instagram? Oh, well, I mean, having the, the know-how to take a good picture really gives you a leg up on Instagram. And, you know, like you say all the time when it comes to social or when it comes to your business, like you're you're not selling a thing, you're selling an emotion or a feeling. And the best way to get across an emotion or a feeling is with something visual. So when you take your pictures, you're taking a picture of your client and they're happy and you're, you're creating this emotion to post online so that people can buy into that and buy into what you do. 
Um, so having the skills to take good pictures and just have that out the gate gave me a huge leg up because a lot of people really struggle with that. They absolutely do. So this was totally unplanned in terms of what I had written down for questions. But since we're on the topic, what are just a couple, what are a few ways that we can become better captures of, of the experience through our phones and cameras? Um, you know, the best ways I would say is number one, your lighting, the, the best lighting and the softest lighting is always going to be daylight and softness and softness creates like pretty in our eyes. Whereas like studio lighting or like a ring light is more hard. It's more editorial or like, you know, a catalog and you're trying to sell an emotion. So you want to do softer light, prettier light, something that's not going to show hard lines or shadows. Um, another way is, you know, you really want to practice posing your clients or your models if you're doing that. And so I have like canned poses that no matter what the client, they may not have experience like taking pictures, but I can guide them through it. And there's just like, you know, the same, I would say probably like eight shots that I run through. And then once they get comfortable with that and I show them a couple images, then they feel more comfortable just like doing the thing and they get excited to like have a little photo shoot and the more excited they are, the better your photos are going to get because they feel good. And when they feel good, you can read that in the images. And then the, I mean, the last thing is just make sure if you're using your phone that you have the best phone, like the newest one, because it's always going to have the best lens. It's going to have the best settings. It's going to be able to capture light better and be less grainy. And that's really what you want. You want to have the best quality that you can control, you know? I love that. And what if what if we live in an area that has no natural light? Is there an alternative? Is there a way to create that softness that you were talking about through artificial light? Yes. So one of the best ways is you can use a ring light. But uh, what a lot of people don't do and they really should is you can get a sleeve for your ring light and it diffuses the light. So instead of it just being like bah, a bright light on your face, it's kind of like a soft glow or the other, another thing is if you are using a ring light, don't put it directly in front of them, put it to one side or another so that you are creating dimension through the shadows. It doesn't need to be completely to the side, like 90 degrees, but just a little bit off center one way or the other. And it'll give more of like a window light, you know? I love that. That's awesome. Since we're on the topic of social, uh, you know, you you definitely uh, your your expertise shows in in how you how you create content, the content that you post, the consistency, the beauty of it. You also have been dabbling in in video over over the last year. How much time would you say you spend each day or each week um, capturing and editing content? Oh, that's a good question. So starting from the very beginning of it, every single client has time booked into their appointment so I can capture content. So if I know that it's going to take me, say, an hour and a half to do a service, I will book out that service for two hours so that I don't have to worry about rushing them out, not getting the pictures. You know, I want to be able to settle them up. I want to be able to talk to them about aftercare. So I have time set aside for that. The next thing is... I'll probably like once a week or if I get really excited about a client, I'll come home and I use a camera typically for my pictures because I have control over that. It's what's comfortable for me and what I'm familiar with. I struggle with an iPhone. So that doesn't give me a leg up to do that. 
but I come home and I'll put my pictures on my computer and I'll airdrop them onto my phone. And then I'll also send them to my clients. Um, and then if I'm doing video or, I mean, even taking the pictures off of my camera, I spend a good like hour, two hours just going through them, picking the best images, really looking at them, really looking at the detail. I take, you know, probably a hundred pictures of every client. So I want to make sure that even though there's probably 10 that look almost exactly the same, that I'm picking the best one of those 10, you know? And so probably all said and done, if I'm not doing video, it probably takes me, I don't know, four hours or something like that per week on content, just finding or taking pictures, putting them on my computer, airdropping them, going through and planning out my posts and kind of doing all that stuff. If I'm doing video editing, I mean, it can take me an additional probably like 10 hours just because you have to concentrate on capturing the content in the suite with your client. And then the first thing I do is I pick a song and you want to be careful about the song that you use. You want to make sure that it has um, creative commons use. Right. And then, you know, so from then I find the song. So that sets the emotion or the tone of the video. And then I'll go through and I watch every clip like over and over and over. I time it out. I put them together so that it falls like on a particular beat in the music or something that they do in the video lines up with something in the song. And, you know, it's, it's not a quick thing. It's not an easy thing, but I think it's worth it if you want good content, you know? Absolutely. And, and your engagement is, is, as you and I have talked about before, some of the highest engagement I've seen consistently over time. And, and I really attribute uh, a significant part of that to your thoughtfulness and intention behind all the content you create. So, so well done on that. So Thank I'm going to jump into another topic you and I talk about quite often. And, and that's about generational uh, differences. And, you know, you're a millennial. I'm a Gen yep. I'm a Gen Xer. And we've spoken many times about the bad rap that millennials get. If you had every single baby boomer and Gen Xer in a room, what would you tell us? What would you want us to understand to to better to better get along with your generation? Um, honestly, I just think it's empathy. I think it's like not understanding that with changes in times comes new struggles that other generations didn't have before. So whether it be financial struggles because everything's more expensive now, or even, you know, talking to my grandfather about it sometimes, he's like, well, you guys don't need an iPhone. It's like, well, we can't have anything other than an iPhone. It's like, there's nothing else available. Or if we're running businesses or something like that, like you need that. And, you know, even like there, I mean, there wasn't even cell phones before there wasn't maybe a house phone, you know, or like, I don't know. It's like our cars are different. Like everything's different. It's just more expensive. You know, it's not, it's not the same. And you need to be a little more understanding that we were like pushed into a situation where we were told go to school. That's the only way. And then now everyone has student debt that they'll never climb out of. They chose school over homes because they thought it would give them jobs and they didn't get jobs from it. And now they also can't have a home. So it's not entitlement. It's just kind of, I think millennials have an understanding that the finer joys are more important. Otherwise, it's a rat race that will never win. Ah, you know, 
in 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 my observation, obviously, I work with a lot of millennials, and 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 I just inherently have an empathetic, you know, uh, uh, approach to to a lot of what I do in my business and my life, and and I think that that's probably one of the things I've I, I've been most inspired about by your generation is the understanding that purpose uh, becomes a driver versus status versus, you know, bank account balances or a collection of material goods. And it's hard to understand from, you know, the way I was raised that the Gen Xers, it was all about achievement. It was all about titles. It was all about bank balances and Range Rovers and, you know, all of those things mm-hmm. and and uh, owning, you know, we couldn't wait to get a car. You guys don't need a car. There's Uber. We couldn't wait to get a house. We couldn't. And, and who wants to be, you know, why have a house when you want to travel the world and, and you know, save it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> honestly, honestly, I also find that with millennials, you know, I, I reflect and I look at all of my friends. We're all millennials. And the one thing that I've really noticed in this group is that everybody wants to create something like everybody wants to contribute something bigger than themselves. They don't, they don't want to just work in an office and like, nobody's really happy there and they're not happy there and they're not contributing any good to the world. Like they, they want to leave the world better than how they found it. So a lot of my friends, almost all of them own some sort of business or do some sort of like extracurricular something to help other people where I mean, growing up, my family did kind of stuff like that, but most of my friends' families didn't. It was very like keeping up with the Joneses instead. Like that was where the priority was at. Right. It's fat. It's, it's fascinating to me. And, and I, I, you know, the other myth that, that, that I, I've heard and that, and that you and I've talked about is this, is this, uh, lazy, you know, not wanting to work. And, and, and I think you just kind of, you just kind of hit it with the fact that you actually do want to work. You want to do many things. You mm-hmm. want to create. You want to contribute. And that doesn't necessarily fit into my generation's box of what it means to work hard. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah totally. Because, I mean, the other thing is, like, we're all looking for some sort of reward, right? So that's that's the bottom line of it. For your generation, the reward was house. It was a fancy car. It was whatever. Our generation, we thrive on like the emotional reward. So the su- success to us means our bosses recognize that or we move up in the company. But the kind of consequence of where we are and, you know, I guess like the job field and stuff like that is that there are so many older generations that their seniority is a thing over skill or effort and so I think a lot of a lot of millennials realize that like you you're not going to get what you need to fulfill you what you find success if the other gen- generation's still there like they're just going to get phased out eventually like they've been there too long they can't go they just have to quit or retire or something and that we have to make room for us in another way it's interesting because it's 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 actually quite an entrepreneurial generation uh, which is exciting, you know, yeah. but again, confusing for someone right. like, you know, for someone like myself. And and I think honestly, you know, that like you said, that empathy and compassion, you know, seek first to understand Stephen Covey 101, 
Seven Habits of Highly Successful People Seek First to Understand is simply saying, before we judge, before we bash, let's understand, let's have this conversation. And I think people like yourself, we should be having these conversations with people like yourself or any of the people that represent that generation that are truly, truly making awesome things happen. So we could go on and on about this, but I want to jump into another thing that, that I, I admire about you and watch you, (laughs) um, watch you do so well is, um, self-care. So let's talk about, um, do you ever get burnt out? I try really hard not to. And how (laughs) do you, how do you try not to get burnt out? I have really, really strict boundaries around myself. Like when it comes to work, I only work a set schedule because I am, I am like naturally a giver. Like I want to give everybody, I want to make everybody happy. And I found, you know, early in my career that I would say yes to going into work at 5 a.m. And I would say yes to stay until midnight. And you just can't do that. You know, I found that my health would suffer and my relationships would suffer. And so that's one of the ways is I'm really strict around. I work on these days at these times on the other days. No, I will not come in for you. I'm doing other things. Um, so I have a set schedule around how I handle my appointments, how I handle my content creation. Like everything has to be scheduled in or it becomes overwhelming for me. That might not be true for everyone, but I know that for my own mental health, I need to have that schedule. Another way is I try to take care of my body. You know, I try to eat well. I am a vegetarian, not saying anyone else needs to be, but I'm mindful of what I put in my mouth. And I'm also mindful about how I treat my body. So if I can, I work out. I don't beat myself up over it, though, because then that goes back to mental health. I try to do, you know, I take extra pride in my skincare and the the ritual (laughs) around it. You know, I have a lot of rituals. I wake up at a certain time every morning And I have four or five hours before I go to work so that I don't have to rush out the door so that I can just find find my space in the morning, wake up, feel good, get to where I need to go. And then I can start getting ready. And I don't have to. I feel like if you start your day brushed and stressed, that's how your whole day is going to be. So I start it the way I want my whole day to be, which is calm and centered. And I'm just doing my thing. I'm cruising like I want to be on cruise control all the time. I don't want to feel crazy at any point. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And, and you know, it's, it's certainly not easy to set those healthy boundaries, but those boundaries are what allows you to live the life that you want to live. And I think that's such a it, it seems so impossible, but in fact, it's it's so incredibly simple. You made a decision mm-hmm. of how you wanted to feel and you made a decision of what that looked like to you. Right. And you do your best every day to stick to that. And and it's really not any more complicated than that. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like it was just I made a decision and just have to stick to it. Like it's everybody makes a decision to brush their teeth every day, you know, <laughs> like just. Right. Once you make the decision, you just do well, we it. Hope, you just we hope know. everybody does. We, right. we, we hope everybody does. Um, let's, let's move. I cannot believe that time flies <laughs> on all these podcasts, but uh, we're going to, we're, we're, these podcasts are getting longer. I was so into sticking to, to the 20 minutes and, and I'm slowly creeping past <laughs> that. Um, I, I want to talk about your biggest failure 
in your career so far? Oh, tough one. Uh, biggest failure in my career so far. Um, you know, it's hard because I don't really feel, I don't really take it anything like that as a failure. I just, it's kind of a learning experience. So like my struggles have been around, you know, scheduling was, and then, I mean, naturally I'm a critical thinker. I'm always problem solving. So if it's a failure to me, I'm going to spin it and do it to something else. So scheduling was a big one. Pricing was a huge one. I, you know what? That was probably my biggest failure. Pricing when I started at my old salon was $45 for a root touch up and a blow dry. And that was six years ago. And I assisted for a year and then I worked my own chair for a year and then I rented and so on. And I still have some of those clients. So instead of just tripling or doubling or whatever my prices to what they are now, when I came from my old salon to my new salon, I put them on a plan to increase their prices 20% every year. So over five years, they would end up at the same price as my current clients. But that's one of the things that I try really hard to instill in my assistants is like, as soon as you discount, as soon as your prices are low, like as soon as you don't charge what you're worth, it's going to be nearly impossible to get out of that. And I wish someone had told me when I was new, charge more, or, you know, someone had put the rules or the guidelines. Like I was just going off what everyone else was doing around me. And, you know, it, that's why they were struggling. And I didn't understand that. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up because you're absolutely right. Pricing is both an art and a science and it most definitely is needs to be aligned with your brand. Of course, we talk about brand purpose, people and promise. And, and so to look at your neighbor's pricing is completely irrelevant um, to to what it it ultimately should be. And, And so I'm glad you learned that lesson. Um, and it definitely, definitely is a huge issue with, with not just in the hair industry, but a lot of small businesses. And, and, and actually I just posted something on Instagram this morning about comparison and, and it's, it's so troublesome. It continues to be so troublesome to me that we continually look at the neighbor versus figuring out our own strategy and and tapping into resources available to help us do that, you know, and um, it's one of my ongoing kind of dreams that people will stop looking at each other and start looking at themselves and making decisions, good decisions for yourself, for your own business, for your own brand, your own objectives, your own goals. I mean, it's just so, there's so much that goes into it. And you just inspired another podcast. I'm going to do a what's on my mind. I'm going to do a pricing one. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. So (laughs) really appreciate it. Let's, (laughs) let's, um, we got to wrap this up. Do you have a favorite quote, Cherie? I know you're not a big quote person, but I, I know you're deep. You're deep. So. Okay. I, so I've been self care. I've been watching a lot of garbage TV because it doesn't require like me to be emotional. So I'm just watching like right now I'm watching return to Amish on TLC (laughs) and Last night, there was a quote that they put on the screen. They always do like Amish values, you know, Uh and I wrote this down and it says, instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place. (gasps) How fucking profound is that? And that's so tied into what we are talking about with empathy, empathy and compassion. Oh, I love that. Can you repeat that one more time? 
Instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place. I love that. Oh, what yeah, a I was great like, I stopped way. and wrote it down. I love it. I love it. What a great way to end the podcast and a great way to start the day since we are recording this early morning. Um, Cherie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was quite an honor. I know we could talk forever, but I absolutely I adore you. You are an inspiration to so many. And and thank you again for, for helping uh, inspire this new project. Um, I adore you. I adore you. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. To learn more about Passion Squared, you can visit us at passionsquared.net. You can find us on the gram and on Facebook at Passion Squared. And be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for joining us. Have an awesome day, guys. Love you.